Leinster's new signings playing a big part in a hard-earned win in Belfast. So it's high time we started harping on rugby. My name is Jeff Pagano, and once again, I've been joined by my fellow fans to harp on what's going on with Leinster, Ireland, and the wider rugby world. To help me this week, I have two contributors, both earning their 20th caps on the pod. First is someone known on the Twitter machine as at Leinster Royalty. A warm welcome to Mr. Tom Coleman. Evening, lads. How's it going? All, All good, good here in yeah. County Mead. Indeed. Good to, good to see you, sir. And also back after appearing on our preview show is our chief coaching correspondent, Mr. Mark Jackson. Welcome back, sir. Thank you, Jeff. Evening, Tom. Hope you're all well, fellas. Yep. And uh, Mark, I think you've uh, a bit of extra reporting to do on this. There's some team uh, burning it up over there in England. They won five out of five. I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about uh, how they've been doing. Yeah, my lads at uh, Hammersmith and Fulhamburg are going good guns. We, we, we have a break next week, but uh, this first, we try and break the season down into these little portions of games that we've got. So the target was to get five from five to start off the season. Well, we've got a a pretty good pre-season and uh, we've been racking up the points well. Um, some sticky moments in the last couple of games, but um, our fitness has sort of helped us out a lot. The lads, the lads really, really worked hard over the pre-season and with our S&C coaches, they've, they've put a dedicated eight-week program in that has uh, seen them get off to a good start. So just the uh, plus 277 points difference at the moment, I'll take it. I'll take it, man. Yeah, and, and having with with those kind of numbers, he still says there's some sicky moments in there. So that's that's the kind of standards Mark has, Mark sets for his boys. You know, so that's that's good well. To, hear. To, to be fair to them, they set their own standards. It was twelve nine at halftime yesterday, oh, so right. we did have it, it. wasn't it wasn't all one way going, and uh, we sort of upped the pace in the second half a little bit. And the boys the boys said everything at halftime. I didn't really need to say too much. They knew what was fixable and needed to be fixed, and they went and did the job. So fair play to them for the the start that they've uh, they put in. Absolutely brilliant. We'll, we'll keep, definitely keep on tabs on that uh, throughout the season. Right, gents. So before we get to our main topic of discussion, we're just going to start with a feature we call the Front Five, where we pick out some eye-catching, egg-chasing stories from around the rugby sphere and offer a few quick thoughts. The first one's going to yourself, Tom. Um, it's, a, it's an article from Talking Rugby Union, and the headline is uh, Ireland and Connet Centre, Bundiaki suspended for eight games. Yeah, um, I was watching this game live at the time. Um, Funny enough, Connacht were you know when Tom Farrell scored that try off the you know after that initial that 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 incident with, with Bundy, and there was a bit of a crossfield kick and Tom Farrell ended up scoring it. Um, Connacht were right back in the game. I think that would have made it nineteen three uh, or nineteen thirteen, I should say. And um, it's only when you you re look back on 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 the incident with Bundy on the Stormers wing and I think Sanalta is his name. Yeah, he just has no excuse. You know what I mean? At this day and age, shoulder to the head with a huge amount of force, and he was—he had no control over his body either. Um, he was going off his feet. Um, I know he was arguing, "Hello, you're meant to go," but there is other techniques. He should know better than that. You know what I mean? Uh, Mark's coaching at a higher level than I am, but still, we still coach our girls out in scaries. You can't—you can't clear out rooks like that. You know these things are just flying in off your feet. Most disappointing thing for me, all of all, all of it was his reaction after the red card. Like, there's certain rules and laws in rugby, and one of them is just respecting the referee. 
Like, you respect your opposition because it's a game where you can actually hurt somebody if you wanted to get out. So, like, you know, you respect your teammates, respect the opposition. And, uh, you know, you have to respect the referee. It was just nonsense what he was doing after that. And I think that was his third red card in three years. And I think that came into the, the decision-making on why he got eight weeks. It was sort of went out to 10 and back to six and then finished on eight, uh, eight games. So he really is no excuse. You know I mean? He's, he's, he's a senior player in Connacht. He's, he's done massive for the province over there. He's an absolute hero for what he does, goes out and around the clubs around Connacht. But at the end of the day, what he did was inexcusable, especially after he got the red card. You know, I, you know, even the most ardent Connacht fans couldn't couldn't you know, condone that behaviour. You know, yeah. so yeah, he he rightly you know he's going to miss out in the November internationals. Um, you know, he's been trying to break up that Leinster centre partnership when we have players like Mkluski coming into a little bit of form, and and obviously more so James Hume who's who's out, but like, it's just going to let Ringrose and Henshaw back in there on, in November again. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the disappointing reaction after the after he got the red card would be the main takeaway from me. Yeah, and it was a time obviously when Connor really need him as well because they had a tough run of games to start the season. And uh, just one more point, um, I just I, I I do like the way they uh, the URC released this uh, graphic uh, to explain every mm. stage of the disciplinary process. And another, to be fair, the Premiership have been doing that for a few years now. Uh, it shows you every stage and why decisions were made you may not agree with the decision but you can at least see uh where they where, where they're coming from so uh, that's good that's that's something anyway to come out of this okay so we're going to move on to you mark uh this story for you is from the uk independent uh it's via the press uh, press association and the headline is worcester facing exodus of players and staff after failing to pay salaries yeah this was um we, we speaking on the Harping on rugby WhatsApp group, I, I, I said this a few months ago that there was rumours that Worcester were in trouble and a couple of other clubs. And it's basically just snowballed into an absolute shafting of the club by by their owners. Um, the Vultures are now going to be out. Apparently, Bath are, have already muted, taking Ted Hill, uh, Ollie Lawrence and uh, Rory Sutherland. I know Glasgow and Edinburgh might want to get their two Scottish internationals back as well. But the... The biggest losers here are the supporters of the club and the players and staff around it. You know, um, if you read further into the article and, and plenty of articles out there, it's a it's a many headed beast in terms of what they got wrong, the owners, um, and to compound all the financial irregularities that they they've got wrong, they came out uh, the other day with a statement which has been retweeted to death. And if you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend to go out and just the ultimate unreading of a room. You ever see they blamed the players for not taking pay cuts during COVID and after COVID, and they also blamed the fans for not coming out. Like, if there's ever two people that should never be allowed own, I don't know, a golf club, never mind a rugby club, uh, any time in the future, these these are two uh, two shies, just to say the least. And they've they've ruined what is. I don't know if anybody's ever been to Six Ways. Six Ways is a great stadium. It's which is a big rugby town in England. Um, traditionally, they've they've come up through the leagues. Uh, in the 90s and early 90s and yeah they've been up and down between the premiership and the championship but it's a big rugby area big catchment area and a lot of fans are are um are basically seeing the death of their club in front of them at the moment there's a lot of stuff going on now with the administrators coming in not only uh, from what from what i've read as well there's there's two different uh sorry companies that own both the land and own the players contracts 
So it's a very complicated situation and one that I'd hope for the players get sorted. They've, they've, they've now found out, I think, today that they, um, their medical insurance is not covered from now on. And like that's a huge thing for a rugby player. You know, people, people around the sporting hemisphere, in the sporting, sorry, in the sporting world, rugby players do not earn the money footballers do. So to ask a rugby player to take a pay cut is actually quite a sizable chunk out of their, out of their wages. And they don't have the longevity of career that, say, footballers do. You're talking like even the top guys in rugby would be making what Division Four players in England are making. You know, it, it's, it's a crazy situation. And, and I feel nothing but sadness for the players, staff and everybody uh, associated with the, with the the good side of the, of the of the Worcester Rugby Club. Right, Tom, we're going to move over to yourself. Your headline is from the42.ie. It's written by Morgan Peake. And the headline is, uh, Crowley impresses at 10 as emerging Ireland hammer the Griquas. I think I think it was a fantastic performance. I don't I don't think the Griquas are are any great shakes. Um, there's a big drop off down to Curry Cup sort of teams. Uh, Griquas have been on a couple of heavy a couple of heavy uh, beatings, but you know by the Bulls, the Blue Bulls, etc. So you know we put a little asterisk beside it. But I think the coaching staff that's gone down there should have a, should take a big uh, clap on the back because basically you're taking a scrap side and there was for me the standout thing of that performance was the cohesion that was put together in so short notice amongst that fairly young squad um that's what really stood out to me and and, and then end up getting some really cracking tries uh and you can only beat what's in front of you uh, I, I i have a feeling that the margin ireland given what i've seen there will beat all before them down there i i, I it, it, i'm struggling to see what other team is going to is going to come close to them um it could be wrong uh, obviously, um, Crowley's going to take the headlines. He sort of replaced, not to replace, he was going anyway. And, you know, Kieran Frawley was lucky to get, unlucky to get injured um, and had to be pulled from the, from the, from the tour. But uh, definitely Crowley, who I think got six from six, um, you know, put in a great performance, very smooth. You know, I mean, he, uh, looking at, I know we'll talk about it shortly, looking at Munster against Zebra and how their two tens operated, um, it wouldn't be, it might be in Munster's best interest to fast track Crowley into some minutes this year. Um, maybe that's the plan anyway. Um, but I thought other players, I thought Calvin Nash had a really good game, our own Os- Jimmy Osborne um, for Leinster, really, really, really good game as well. And I thought the, in the pack, Joe McCarthy, probably still too good for that level. Uh, he really stood out, you know what I mean? He was all over the place, work rate, he's just an outstanding player. And, uh, and obviously, Scott Penny, doing what he does he was going around busy around the park and, and getting a couple of tries so yeah all in all but you know my, my main uh, congratulations would go to the coaching staff I just thought they really did a lot of cohesion for, for, for a team that was really just thrown together and um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the, the tour goes Yep, and they're up again next Wednesday. They're playing uh, the Pumas. Um, I think it's, in, it's it's an afternoon kickoff for us, but uh, that's the, the, they'll be up again soon, so we'll look forward to that. Okay, so we'll move back to you, Mark. Now, I don't like having – we only pick five articles, and I don't like to pick two that are kind of uh, negative towards Connacht, but it's just the way it turned out this week. Um, and this is a kind of an unfortunate headline, I think, from the Indo, but the, the way they worded it. But here it is. This is from John Fallon, the Independent. It says, Connacht remained pointless – in the United Rugby Championship following defeat in South Africa. Yeah, it's been a a more than tough start for Connacht. Um, it's never a good time to to take players down to South Africa. They're, they're always going to have tough games. But a couple of things I, I would take from the article and also from watching their games is Connacht's uh, losses are not just because of the quality opposition. A lot of it is self-inflicted. Um, I think Connacht's discipline has been pretty poor in those first two games. And I think... Um, 
you know, they're opening three games. The, the stat there is 44 penalties um, in three games. And down in South Africa, on the high belt, against teams that are going to be running hard, kicking hard, tackling hard, you know, that's never going to help you because those boys will kick their points as well when they need to. But Connacht started awfully in this game. You know, it could have been 21-0 after 10 minutes. It was 14-0. They had a try disallowed from their hooker as well. Good comeback in the second half, but then that was from from ill-discipline from the Bulls as opposed to Connacht being better. You know, for 20 minutes, they had 13 players, 14 players. You know, uh, the Bulls have, have a habit of, of conceding penalties at times and, and Connacht's tries were sort of a block down with Hawkshaw at the end and uh, their other try were, were sort of at the end. So I think after about 15, 20 minutes of the game, a few of us were tweeting that, you know, pray for Connacht, it could have got a lot uglier. They stuck in there sort of the end of the first half and played, definitely played better in the second half. You hope to take their form from the second half into the games uh, upcoming against Munster and to get the opening game into sports ground next weekend. So hopefully they get to turn around their fortunes. But it's been a really, really tough start, allied with the previous story of, of Bundiaki. But the, the general discipline from Connacht over the last couple of games, probably allied with a really, really poor line-out performance uh, against the Blue Bulls, um, who have a lot of tall timber. And I just thought some of the Connacht decision making at line out time was poor. Um, and if there's if there's an Achilles heel to the hookers that are behind Dan Sheen at the moment, it's probably their their darts need need a bit of work on across all four provinces. I would have said. Yeah, I mean, we look forward to Interpros anyway, but I think that there's a lot riding on this one coming up this uh, Friday down, down the sports ground. They need a home, a good good, good performance for their home fans. And of course, Munster have their own issues as well. We're moving on to our next point. Our next story here, this is for you, Tom. Um, this is from the Irish Examiner, and the headline is uh, Roundtree's Delight Tempered by Munster's Failure to Reach Bonus Point Territory. Well, I suppose it sounds like we were on a negative trend today, and uh, I'm... I'm... I'm afraid for Munster fans, I'm not going to break that uh, trend on this one. Look, I think this was a case of Munster's line-out mall winning the game, and that's really it. You know, I'm sure Roundtree will be happy to get the, to get the win. I know Zebra have had a decent start, and they gave us a good game. But, you know, amongst the three big leagues in Europe, you know, they're down there near the bottom of teams. That's the reality until Zebra proves prove otherwise. So... Munster would be very disappointed with this performance. Um, as I said, apart from the line-out mall, um, they went well for, for most of the game and the, the, the Omani, etc., disrupting anything Zebra were trying to get from their line-out. It's a very, it's a very short list after that one actually went right for Munster after that. Um, you know, even the first try, it was unbelievable how it was given. I know that I know the game was won anyway, but you know, how the TMO gave Scanlon's first try is 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 a mystery. It was a clear lock on at the line. Um, apart from uh, you know, and I'm trying to be as neutral as possible. Apart from the cameos by Edwin Ed Bogo and uh, Rowan Quinn, and I like some of the stuff Pat Campbell does. He's a nice broken field runner. He brings that something different to Monster. There wasn't very lot of a lot to shout home about. I think their attacking game plan seems to be you know try and get it out to um, Fekatoa, and for him to bash his way through at least two or three. You know, they're, they're really he's a guy that's going to get injured I would say before this side of Christmas because he's just been asked to carry dirty ball up all the time and there's not much nuance to the play I think both sets of um, uh, Munster's 10s um, Carberry and, and Healy are struggling for different reasons uh, Healy um, most of the time just sits so deep that it, it, it makes the likes of Fekatao's job a bit a bit more awkward 
I think um, what's his name, Rory Scannell coming back might help that um, as another kick. You know, he 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 was back after a long injury. Um, he replaced Goggin when he came on, so that might give them a different option. But yeah, uh, I suppose the worrying thing from Munster's point of view is um, I could be wrong here saying there's um, round trees. And some of the, 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 the pundits are saying it could be sort of February, March before the Munster shape, what they're looking for is is take shape and, and we can visibly see what's going to happen. But given the nature of the URC this year and the way the Champions Cup is is, is structured with, with only four games, their season could be over by then. And, and make it worse if their season could be over where they'd be struggling to qualify for Champions Cup. So, yeah, it's worrying times uh, for Munster. Just, it's, just, 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 it just doesn't seem, to, from my point of view, it doesn't seem to me any green shoots there yet on what they're trying to do. Um, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, and they're going to have a really difficult game in Connacht next week. I know they'll be missing Bundy, but I think Carty might be back. Connacht needs something to get their season going. Um, and I, I think once they're going to struggle there in Galway. Right, so that's it for the front five. As always, you'll find all the links in, for, for all those articles in the programme notes. But now it's time for us to start harping our way through the timeline of our feature match of the week, which is, of course, Ulster v Leinster in round three of the 22-23 BKT United Rugby Championship. It was a 7.35 kickoff on Friday at the Kingspan. The conditions were, let's just say for now, uh, variable. Um, on our Harpen preview show, myself and Mark both predicted Leinster wins, although Mark's margin was a hell of a lot closer than mine. Um, we... When it, when it started, um, it was such a big derby match. It was such a top of the table, all this going on. Um, you're looking for a sign of the way the things are going to go. And I have to say that when, when Nick Timoney took from a base of the scrum in the first minute and literally ran through Luke McGrath, um, I was afraid maybe that was, a, that was kind of a sign. And it wasn't just, you could say, well, it was the scrum half. But, because, but you could also say, well, it was Nick Timoney. I say you could have done that to a lot of Leinster's players um, off of that scrum. So that was a, that was a start. But then uh, from there, they started on their first uh, attack. And one of the things we were saying was we had a, 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 an impressive backline that was scoring a lot of tries for Ulster coming against Leinster's defence. And it was the first test of that. So we're going to start with you, Tom. What happened from there? Yeah, um, I suppose first thing, I, I was lucky enough to get up to the game. So it was, you know, and uh, I know we have some list, uh, Ulster list, listeners. Uh, it was enjoyable as always. It's a great old stadium to go to. I'd recommend anyone gets up to, to Kingspan, Raven Hill. Um, uh, you know, it was full house. So you know, it was it was a cracking interpro to, to be at, and the, the second half obviously made it a bit closer. Look, yeah, at the start of the game, you're right that Timoney took that 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 pick up off the base of scrum and, and he ran through McGrath and I I I think it was Conan struggled to get a hand on him after that. And uh, for me, looking back on the game, um, there was signs in them first few phases that were Ulster were going to have difficulty later on in the game and we touched it in the second half. Ulster did have about 10 or 11 phases all between our 10 metre line and our own 22 and they weren't really going anywhere. And I noticed a lot of times when, when I was looking back at the game, it was 3v1 at the Rook. Ulster were putting in three. Leinster were leaving the tackler in there. So Leinster were quite happy to fan out and go, you have to try and get through us. And it was 3v1, it was sometimes 3v2, it was 2v1, 3v1. But a lot of 3v1s, a lot of the time, were, were also putting bodies into clear of the hook. And that basically meant, at so, at, at, uh, you know, we can all do our maths, it was 12v14, fanned out. So also were really struggling to find a hole. Um, so, you know, that that's something we've looked at in the first two games, Leinster's defence, and are, are they, don't, they don't look like they're targeting at least the first 
initial three, four, five, six rooks that they're quite happy to fan out and trust their defence. And um, it ended up with Herring, you know, uh, knocking on off his, off his short inside pass when it was a difficult one. Um, so, you know, Ulster were trying to take a chance there. But the, the early signs were there for what way Ulster were going to attack their own ball at, at Rook and what Leinster were going to do in return. Yeah, it was really, it's really impressive to watch. I mean, I always say you never see YouTube clips of defensive stands, but I think, I mean, if you could, if you appreciate what they were doing, like the way you described it there, um, you really could, you could, you could analyze because sometimes they make a break and you think that they, you know, they might get into the 22, but then two, three phases later, they've been driven back 10 meters just by big tackles and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, right, correct positioning and targeting where, where the ball is going to go. But anyway, from there, uh, after like over a dozen phases, like you say, the ball went loose and we were able to clear. But uh, we knew in a derby like this, uh, there was always going to be some controversial incidents. And uh, it wasn't long before we got one, right, Mark? Yeah, the uh, clearing kick goes to Stockdale and Stockdale does what he does. He tucks the ball under one arm and just runs straight at the first guy ahead of him. Uh, this time it was Robbie Henshaw. And it was worth a look. You know, I don't think any of us picked it up at that moment. After the game, then there was a lot of uh, controversial takes on it. Um, it, it I think it, the, the sighting timing has passed on it. it. It might well have been looked looked at it. It was very close. And I think the reason it wasn't looked at is, in fairness to Stockdale, he bounced straight back up off the floor. Once he got down, he got up again. He took it, got back up. If he had stayed down and maybe milked it a bit, it might have been looked at by the TMO. Um, there's an incident later on, pretty similar, but at the time... Um, it could have been a turning point because it could easily have been a yellow. It could easily have been a yellow card for, for Robbie Henshaw. Um, Robbie Henshaw does play on the edge of that tackle line on the chest and above. He does target the ball a lot. Um, and to be fair, you know, I might have had a moan of Stockdale. Stockdale has a habit of tucking that ball quite high, like an NFL running back and going into contact. And, you know, he's... He's a big, he's a big unit. So is Henshaw, and it was, it was, it was, if you want to say this, this cliche, it's a rugby collision. And um, you know, two two years ago, it wouldn't have been looked at. Nowadays, with with all the the controversy around collisions, head collisions, and that, it's uh, it definitely, it definitely was an incident that I'd, I'd say in the Premiership, it definitely would have been looked at. The URC seemed to be a little bit less stringent, not the stringent on it, but. You know those those fifty fifty calls TMOs over here in in the Premiership do do let the referee know. So if the TMO didn't let the referee know, then it's hard for the referee to see that in real time. Is it shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to ball, shoulder to head? But it was uh, it was very close. Yeah, I mean for me on these kind of calls, it all depends on where your your starting point is making the judgment. And uh, just for me personally, well, first you have to try to take the goggles off. You just have to, it's, it's not easy, but when you look, especially in a big game like this, you have to, you have to be ob objective and, and look at the incident for what it is. But second, my, my personal question is, is, is the tackler trying to get low? I know that there's, there's a difference. There's, there's different ways of tackling all that kind of stuff. But the reason we have these laws and these penalties is because they want the tackers to get low. And I, my thing is, if they're not, we had an incident, we had this incident. There was a game just before it. Um, the, I think it was the Bulls. It was Hoosen for the Bulls, was it? Uh, yeah. In the earlier game where um, and it was the same thing with him. He just stayed upright against Connett. And, um, and then we had the one later on, which we'll talk later. So for me personally, 
what the starting point is, if he's not making any effort to, he's going to stand upright no matter what. I think you're, for me, the starting point is a penalty at least. And then we work from there, see how the collisions worked out and other mitigations and stuff. But uh, if the, if the, if, the officials, like you say, different leagues are looking at it in different ways. They want to say, well, maybe the starting point will be, was it a rugby collision? And they're trying to mitigate it, as, find as much mitigation as they can. Then you're going to have outcomes that it might not even be called at all, like as this one was. But as you say, there was a lot said about it after the game. And and like I was the same. I missed it as it happened too. I didn't even, I didn't know what they were talking about until I'd watched the game back. But um, anyway, so uh, we, 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 that, that's how that one ended up. But anyway, um, the, the, the game played on. And uh, we had our first, we had, uh, there was a big uh, scrum um, coming up soon after that Tom, Take it from there. Yeah. Just before that scrum. Yeah. I think it was, it was, on, it was, it was the third scrum. Um, there was uh, Warwick was struggling all night trying to get his bind on, on Al Alato and the scrum went down and the referee set it um, for, for, for Ulster to go again. Um, then this time we got pinged for an early engage. And then on the third attempt, there was a mass, massive shunt by, by uh, Andrew Porter. That uh, just, I think Ulster were just slow to the call on the engage, and Ulster got the initial shove on, and and we got a nice penalty off it. Uh, obviously, Ross Bourne then went down the line, um, and from the sort of from the line out from there, the difference between again looking at the differences between the two teams, the difference between Ulster's uh, rock play we spoke about in the first few minutes, where Leinster's defence was quite good. Um, the Lens were recycling the ball a lot quicker out of those rooks, and we we're mixing it up a bit more. I think we went three times to the open side, then back to the blind. So, you were constantly trying to drag players from the blind side over to the open side, and, and it, it was that play initially that created what turned out to be an overlap on, 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 on the left hand side for Bird to get in. Um, the overlap was actually there twice. There was, I think, Ross Bourne flinged a, zipped a beautiful pass to 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 Larmer. I think it was Aaron Sexton read it quite well, and he got sort of swallowed up, and we had to recycle it. But Ulster were very slow to wrap around both times. Uh, I know Aaron Sexton saved them somewhat because I think it was two or three on one at that stage, all because the previous rook player Lens were doing down on the open side was just sucking Ulster players in. So there's, I don't know, if it was a lack of communication from Ulster. The the, the defense was caught out a couple of times, just slow to react. Um, Leinster could have got in when Larmer got, only for Sexton read it. But then very quickly, again, even with that, even with Sexton making a good, nice intercept or, or tackle on, on Larmer, Leinster were able to, to reset again. And it was it was lovely hands by Ringrose, uh, popped the carney, and, and and you're not going to really stop Baird, you know, when he gets that little bit of, bit of, bit of space. So, yeah, two takeaways. I think it was just Leinster speed or rock and how they were trying to manipulate that space uh, versus Ulster's play in the first few minutes where it was a bit slower and it was easier for Leinster, you know, and I think ultimately if, if Ulster are looking to learn something out of, out of, out of the game and why maybe they lost um, rather than the bad start, or whatever um, they can, they can look at just the speed of, of, of their ruck and uh, versus and the variance on it compared to Leinster's, especially in the first half. So, so that put Leinster up seven, seven nil. Uh, Ross Byrne uh, got a nice conversion after that. Um, we were at, we were to have another chance at a lineout in the Ulster twenty two shortly after, but this time Marcus Ray burrowed in for a jackal penalty. And when we were pinged again shortly afterwards, it was in a kickable position, but they chose to go for the corner. Mark, how did they get on? Yeah, they had um, they had a penalty a few minutes before, which I think is a bit telling in conditions like that. I probably, as a coach, I would have been asking my players, "Yeah, you'll make decisions, but." Points don't come easy against Leinster, and 
you, you sort of worked hard for three minutes for it to be in almost the exact same position. So you're expending energy that where where three minutes previous Cooney probably had had three points on the board and you get to reset again and maybe have a little bit more thinking time. But yeah, we got uh Porter did a really good job of getting uh getting underneath and holding up. So the goal line dropout then and then another penalty and then Cooney decides, as I said, three minutes later to go for the three and it's now seven three. Whereas, you know, you've just asked your forwards to to maul a couple of times, get held up, jog back twenty meters, do it again. I just thought that was a little bit of poor game management from Ulster. They probably should have had a shot at goal earlier on. But um, it was good defence from Leinster to hold up the mall. The Ulster mall has been a weapon of theirs for a long, long time. And and they do set it very well. Um, and um, like eventually later on, we'll, we'll see that they did get some purchase out of, the, out of that area. But um, I thought the Leinster mall defence generally while Jenkins was on the pitch was excellent. He's, he's a man mountain and he's hard to move. And... I know we sort of poo-pooed a little bit of it when Adam Beard came in. What is what is he offering? But it, it's hard to move bulk, you know, and guys with long levers as well getting in and just being absolute nightmares to to maul against. It's uh, it's a telling part of the game, especially when when your one of your main um, percentage plays is kicking for for touch, and you and you've got six foot six and twenty stone of South African to to move. Not just saying it was just him, but. His presence and his size certainly helped with the uh, with the Leinster Mall defence early on in the game. Right. So now it was just a four point lead for Leinster, but not for long. Tom's going to tell you what happened next. Yeah, after that Cooney pen, um, you know, obviously Leinster kicked off, and it's something we've we've all spoken about on the pod from the start of the year. If you think back to the start of the Quinns game, Mark was over at the, the, the preseason friendly. Leinster really targets target the restart as like that third you know sort of set piece and when when we when we restart we put real pressure on uh, Ulster on, on on that side and Stockdale wasn't given much of an angle for clearance and he ended up with a bitty skewy kick that just went straight down to Jimmy O'Brien and all of a sudden Ulster were sort of and initially in their their shape for for a restart and then they had to quickly get into a defensive reset and again on a, like our own try um uh the first try uh, it was the speed of recycling. You know, there were some big carries by I think Sheehan and and Van der Fleer. Uh, we got a little bit fortunate. Ross Bourne tried a little grubber through, and it's, it ended up coming back to us. And um, then Robbie tried to throw a pass out to to, to Josh Van der Fleer, and it went out uh, out for a for a line out. And again, I don't know, it was Aaron Sexton? He just for some reason, just these pressurized situations with Interpro, he decided to take a quick line out. Um, Really, it was a time for calm heads there, and he sort of flinged it back to to Stockdale, I think, who was or who was carrying it. And um, Robbie, for his missed pass out to Josh, was determined to make up uh, for this, and and he was straight in there, and it was it was you know perfectly positioned on on, on his two feet to get the, to get the clearance, or sort of to get the turnover, uh, and we go get a turnover pen. And after that, it was just simple Leinster stuff, like we just kicked for a line out. Set them all and Dan Sheehan off the back, but for me, you know, you know, to get to that position, it all came from pressure at the restart, narrowing the angle to kick the kick for Stockdale, just putting them under pressure. They were out of shape, and maybe that's why you know, um, maybe why Young Sexton to try to go throw something quick. So it just shows you how what we've seen against Zebra in the first game, what we've seen against Quinns in preseason, about that restart, it all comes from there for me. Uh, you know, also a bit all over at sea at that stage, and, and maybe that forced Sexton into 
it's a bad decision. Uh, and a couple of that with Henshaw, you know, you know, making up for his his, his missed pass that he, he got the turnover. And as I said, the rest was just the simple stuff. It was it was perfect straight, you know, to Conan down Mall, and you're not going to stop Sheehan, you know, from 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 that from that distance. Yeah, it's like sometimes just your 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 reputation in a certain area of the game can get you an advantage without even having to do anything. I mean, the Ulster would have known. They well, they already had a sample of what our defense could do, so they knew that there was any sense of transition, any chance of a quick tap or a quick ball or a quick throw, uh, just to get a, to maybe get a jump on us. Uh, but unfortunately, that has to be done right in itself, and he just uh, that that quick throw just was not on, and we took no. full advantage. Okay, so that made it 14-3. And as the match ticked into the second quarter, things started to get a little scrappy. We had a consecutive drops from Ross Byrne and then Michael Lowry. And that was before, well, it seemed to be before the rain started really teeming down. Um, and as Leinster had that cushion, uh, we could afford to go for a territory game, trying to force more errors. So Luke McGrath started putting high balls towards the opposition. And although there were further mistakes, we were unable to make them count, but there was one area we, we had been having uh, superiority, like we said, and that was at the scrum mark. Yeah, uh, touched on it on um, on Thursday's preview show. Um, I'm a big fan of Tom O'Toole around the park. You know, I, I still think he can be got out at scrum time. And if it was a good game for Andrew Porter um, to sort of make amends from his, his last couple of performances where I, I think he has got some issues with his binding, um, and he got folded in a couple of times in previous games, but I thought Porter came out and had a really, really good first half, both defensively, I thought his tackling um, and slowing the ball down at the rook time, as Tom said. If you if you have 13 guys on their feet and the other opposition of 11 or 12, you know, somebody's putting their body on the line at rook time to take a hit and slow the ball down. And not only was the scrum game really good, I thought Porter, along with Jenkins, had had a really good first half and slowing down the, the Ulster ball. When when Porter gets himself set correctly, when there's a thing amongst amongst us props, you said the less movement you have to do with your feet, the better. I think when Porter gets his feet set and gets his bind set, his natural strength is is a huge advantage to him. And and when he when he when he moves his feet too much, I, I think he struggles. But I think he got it really right in in what would have been crying, uh, sorry, trying conditions underfoot. You know, the rain would have wouldn't wouldn't have made scrummaging too easy at, at uh, Kingspan, even though it's a good it's a good sod underneath. But um, the penalties, he, he milked a couple of penalties in the first half, and and rightly so, and rightly so. He, uh, I thought Porter had a, had an excellent game uh, as did Alatoa when he was on. Um, we then we went ahead then for after the second sort of incident that we could have looked at after the, after the game with um, McCluskey's hit on Conan. Again, as you said, Jeff, the, the initial starting height is what we should be looking at. And also, is there one thing you hear in the premiership here, I don't hear it as much actually on the URC stuff, is they, they start with the initial height, but then they say, is there a dip in the knees and their hips? And lots of guys... Look, don't get away with yellow cards, but that's the mitigating factors that they are very clear on here in the Premiership. I think the URC, for all the stuff that they've done really well, I think the referees could probably explain their mitigating factors as to why. But again, this wasn't caught, and we and we didn't really look at it till, till sort of after the game. Um, then, as 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 we said on 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 the on on our Harpen group, you know, the penalty that allowed us to go to get down the pitch and, and milk another penalty. Um, is it Matty Ray playing at six or Marcus Ray? I can't remember whoever gave away the penalty. It was touch and go. You know, it could have gone the other way very, 
very easily. He seemed to be in a good position over the ball, and I think we got away with one there, to be honest with you. Um, but then a couple of minutes later, we, we, we extend that lead um, through uh, another good Ross Byrne, Byrne strike. Yep. Um, so after that, we were unable to make anything from a jackal penalty by Dan Sheehan as the line-out which followed was thwarted by Kieran Treadwell to send everyone into the sheds with halftime score as Ulster 3, Leinster 17. So um, on to the second half now, and there are a couple of changes at halftime. Um, Charlie Natai uh, seemed to come on for Dave Carney and uh, Stockdale, who went down injured um, at one stage in the second in the first half, and um, obviously they, they they saw him through to the to the end, but he wasn't able to return. So Moxham was on for him. Um, we forced an, yet another knock on right at the start of the half, and although Cooney caused a mischief at the scrum, forcing us back towards halfway. We worked our way back to, to earn a kickable penalty, and there was no hesitation in getting Rossburn to slap the three points to make it a three-score lead at 20-3. to three. And it looked like we'd then get a chance to stretch that lead even further when Jordan Larmer jacked a penalty against Aaron Sexton, which put us back in there 22 for a line-out. But things didn't go quite our way from there, did they, Tom? Yeah, I, I was down that end of the pitch, and uh, I have to say, after this series of play, it was a little bit head and hands. I was... For me, the winning of the game, given the conditions that was there, this was, you know, slightly disappointing outcome. You know, this is where Leinster really should have put the the hammer down on Ulster and the game would have been over. I think I think Ulster visibly on the pitch got a lift after the end of this series event. And we had a couple of chances. I think, you know, Warwick had a fringe in a mall just before it when, when um, ended up Ross kicking it to the corner. And uh, again, Conan got in. Conan got a good uh, mall going. But in fairness to Treadwell, give him some credit. He got in a good position. And, you know, Mark had mentioned those players with long levers. He got in there and he disrupted it. And uh, it ended up in an Ulster scrum. Um, this was chance number two for us. Yeah, um, you know, we massive shunt again, as, as, as Mark mentioned, Porter really got, got in strong on, on, on the tight head side. And, you know, it was it was a massive scrum just at the right time. You could see the the at that stage, I was right behind that, and you could see Ulster just the players, the wind was sucked out of them. They were camped on their own five. Leinster were after getting a massive shunt and and you know, I would have thought they would have scrummed again. Hindsight's a great thing. I know our mall was working great. Um, but I I you know, maybe Leinster just with the conditions didn't want to put it out the backs. Uh, with a, with a, but if you know, hindsight's a great thing, but I, I argue could have went for a scrum there again and really put pressure on because uh, the referee had sort of made their mind, his mind up somewhat with Ulster scrum. But we ended up going for, for a line out and you know, just to be caught for a crooked throw, just to give to give Ulster a rel- relatively easy exit, they were delighted with it. And and you know, for me. That's just where we needed to be a little bit more ruthless. Um, we ha- and we had two chances to bite it, uh, two apples that, or two bites of the cherry there, just to go at it. And uh, yeah, it was just. I just had a feeling then it was just like, oh, here if you can also get one score and bring this back to twenty ten or something. Also, crowd were getting noisy. You know, it was a little bit of a psychic change in the game at that moment. So um, yeah, we really had a chance to put them out of sight, and I think it would have been a deserved lead at that stage. You know, I think also really didn't show anything. I think uh, Lens are very smart in the conditions, but, you know, we had two chances we didn't take them. I just have to learn from that. 
Okay, so after Ulster cleared their lines, we tried to get back down their end, but when Larmer was left isolated after a half break, it was now Ulster's chance to have a go at a set piece in our 22. How did that turn out, Mark? Yeah, I think the, the two there's three penalties in a row here, which probably led to uh, the positions of them as well, led to the Jimmy O'Brien yellow card. Uh, McGrath's clearance initially, you know, Larmer did a great job to get it, but Jackal penalty, then another penalty after line out put us back uh, in, deep into our half. And then line out mall, Ryan gets pinged, and, and the Ryan penalty was the start of, of not his greatest cameo in a Leinster jersey, to be honest, which is two substitutions that I thought actually changed the game. We touched on Thursday that it said Leinster bench would probably see us home. And it was actually the other way around. The bench, the Ulster bench brought them back into it. And the big change for Ulster was probably bringing Marty Moore on to shore the scrum up um, and add power to their mall. And Leinster were probably a little bit um, depowered, taking off Jenkins and putting on Ryan. It may have, been, it may have come from a higher power to, to ask for that certain time. But if I was going to take off one of the Leinster second rows, I probably would have taken off Ross Maloney. I never thought I'd say that, but... Um, if you're going to give Ryan time, I, I definitely wouldn't have, in the conditions, I wouldn't have taken Jenkins off. I thought he was having a stormer. He didn't seem to be running out of steam. It wasn't a, a game where it was exactly warm and draining in terms of temperature. You know, if ever a guy, his size is built for a game like that, that, that was it. Um, but Ulster turned the screw a little bit. They got their mole going forward at a rate of knots. Um, first one led to the yellow card and then they, they got a good try from Andrew getting in the in the bucket, as I say, at the back of the line-out and um, got a really good angle. And Ulster's mall is impressive. It has been impressive, as we said, for a few years. And eventually, when they get a chance like that, you're going to take one of them. And I got them right back into it, uh, sort of, what was it, 60, 60 minutes in. As Tom said, it probably should have been 25-3. Instead, all of a sudden, you turn around, it's 20 points to 10, and it's it's a whole different ball game then. And uh, so now, with the scoreboard uh, reading 20 to 10 at the 61-minute mark, like you said, although Johnny Sexton, Will Connors, and Nick McCarthy were now in the park, Ulster still had the extra man, and their mall was starting to win penalty after penalty. And arguably, the game's most pivotal moment happened after their next go at our 22 in the 68-minute time. Yeah, it, it was plain to see that Ulster's malls was causing us big troubles. Um, I'm from my point of view, having been at the game and then rewatching it back, I would put it that they're more to our our complete lack of defensive mall. I, I thought some of the Ulster malls were a bit upright, and it should have been easier to defend, in my humble opinion, than they were. I thought some of the players were very upright in it, but but the Leinster guys trying to stop it were all very upright. It was I just thought it was more a case of. Uh, a decent mall and bad defence rather than a super mall and, and decent defence um, on, on both of them. I, I think, um, uh, we, so yeah, we still struggle with, obviously, our, our mall defence, and maybe it was because Jenkins went off. We just, it looked like we had a lack of leaders or a lack of shape in trying to defend that mall. Um, they ended up getting another pen advantage, uh, even though uh, when Charlie Nagatai was on, he, he made a great read in the mid, midfield uh, to stop Ulster attack. And it went back for a pen advantage. Um, again, Ulster went to the line out. Again, I thought it was set a bit high, just my opinion, um, because it was slow and a bit sluggish. I think Cooney tried to make a little dart down the blind side. I don't know who he, he off he offloaded to. Uh, they didn't go through. And again, touching back on what I spoke about in the first few minutes, I thought Ulster's rock play off the, when the mall got stopped was poor and slow. Um, the ball was at the back of the scrum for at the back of the ruck for a long time. And it was only on the last instance when I think it was Greg Jones made a little snipe, 
that they recycled quickly and that allowed them to get away because I thought the previous rooks like they were in the first half was quite slow quite pedestrian and Leinster even though it was close out was defending it with ease and um, eventually McCluskey had a nice pass out the back um, to Burns and uh, it ended up in, in Aaron Sexton's hands and um, you know winger's mistake he had the ball on the right hand put it maybe should have put it onto his left hand to finish um, but he's a young guy maybe he'll, he, you know, he'll learn from that but again uh, Charlie Nagatai as I said he had a good read you know, a couple of minutes before that in midfield where he stopped the Ulster attack and again he got across really well to just do enough to knock it out of um, you know it was really precision you know just really just got the ball straight out of Sexton's hands uh, the, 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 boom, the boom machine in Raven Hill was ramped up to 100% when, when, when the TMO eventually gave no try but I thought the genesis of it was, I mean, the scrum, the, 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 the ruck was, even though it was quite destructive, was a bit set too high, so it was a bit slow. And definitely after that, I thought the ruck play was slow. And that allowed, if that wasn't the case there at that side of the pit, on that side, it wouldn't allow Leinster to drift over and eventually get that last ditch tackle in to knock it away. I just thought the ruck was slow. I, as I said, it was only one instance where Greg Jones got the ball away quick that eventually they got away. Um, but it, it just it lacked urgency or something, uh, you know, at that time where Leinster really were, were on the ropes. You know, there's a psychological gain there when you're when you're when you're mauling that much and getting so much success that the pressure is on the defending team. And I just think Ulster's slow rock play, you know, let us off the hook a bit. And eventually, you know, Charlie Nagatai did what he did in the corner to, to stop the try. But I, th- I think Ulster will look that look back that on Monday and go, we really need to do better there. We we had a better chance of of scoring that try. And you know, a lot of the blame will go on Sexton for not carrying it, Aaron Sexton for not carrying it on the right hand, and it made it a little bit easier. But I think the damage was done a little bit before that on 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 them on them not scoring. Okay, so after that big call, it was a goal line dropout for Leinster. But as we tried to get out of our half to kill some more clock. Uh, what happened, Mark? Yeah, um, sort of to and fro a bit there. Uh, but another ill-disciplined couple of minutes from Leinster. You know, Ryan, as we said, didn't have his greatest cameo. Another sort of cheap penalty. That would have been, I think, his, his definitely his second, if not his third, while he was on the pitch. Um, so, shot called, Cooney kicks again. Um, literally, as we get back to 15 on 15... But a real turnaround with um, that sort of that uh, period between sort of 55 and 70 minutes, you know, what should, as you said, what should have been a comfortable three try lead all of a sudden is down to one score again after Cooney kicks that penalty. So you're looking at 2013 and uh, a pretty iffy last eight or nine minutes ahead. Yeah, definitely. Because, yeah, they were, they were a real roller coaster because uh, as I Next up, uh, Henshaw jackaled a critical penalty in our 22. But then when having cleared and we had the lineup, we lost that lineup. Then we seemed to have won a scrum penalty on a good shove, but Brace opted for a reset instead. Then on um, uh, when uh, Stu Bukowski had his trademark crash ball, he ran straight into Johnny Sexton and he had, he had help with him with McCarthy and the Vanderflair. They, read, they forced him, they held him up, they held him into a choke tackle. So we thought that was good as well, but um, that seemed to kill the match. But Ulster was still to get, to get another chance because we knocked on shortly after that scrum. 
But then finally, on that final scrum that Ulster had, when we thought that they might have one more chance to, 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 get, to, to get level, um, our scrum had a massive shove. Um, the ball, they were under pressure. They got it out of the scrum, but they were right under pressure from Josh Vanderfeuer, doing what flankers are meant to do, come off the scrum and pressure the nine. And he really did. He put them under pressure, uh, forced a knock on, and that killed the match. So that was um, that. Was that uh, four match points to one, 20 to 13, uh, the final score, and it was something else. So now we're going to go to our final thoughts from the lads, starting with you, Tom. Yeah, I was thinking of a golfing parlance. Uh, you know, Shane Lowry got to the clubhouse 14 under, and poor old Rory McElroy was still to do the back nine when the heavens opened. And, uh, you know, it's like windy and wet Pebble Beach or something. And, you know, Shane was comfortably in the clubhouse with his lead and it was just too much for Ulster to get back. The the rain, you know, having gone to Leinster games a long time, I've never seen rain like it. Um, that, that that outpour sort of 25 minutes or so into the into the first half was biblical. And, you know, it's it's difficult enough to try and claw that back. It's a long slog for any team to try and to try and claw that back and as I said you know Leinster were 20 points to three up they'll probably be a little disappointed Ulster end up getting the the, po- the losing bonus point or definitely getting into themselves a position to to possibly win the game or get a little bit more out of it um, yeah I, you know, I, I know Ulster did the double last year uh, if you take those two games out of it I think that's 11 wins in 12 for Leinster so you know maybe it's you sound slightly cocky saying we're back to normal back to normal because we've a good record up there in, in Ravenhill. Uh, but there's the good thing about winning is there's loads to loads of work on. Mark touched on some of the cameos off the bench, just didn't look extremely rusty. But I thought Charles Nagaday had his best game when he came on. Um, he looked aggressive, he looked, you know, he looked good in defense. And we've we've mentioned Jason Jenkins a few times. I think um he's put in some really good performances so far. Um and we still have guys to come back. You know, you know, there's no no sign that you know we, we're missing Conan. Um, obviously, Tyke Furlong, uh, Johnny only came on. So, and 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 obviously, Ulster did try and target our back three, especially Larmer. You know, we still have Keane and we still have Low. So, you know, three wins from three wins from three. Uh, we're top of the ladder. You know, and, and lots to learn. You know what? I'm sure the coaches are delighted to be in that position. Mark. Yeah, not too much to add to that. I thought Ulster started well in the first four or five minutes targeted Larmer and then they went away from it I thought they made a mistake by not kicking enough in those conditions in the first half um, as Tom said they, you know Larmer grew into the game as they went on but they, they let him off the hook a little bit at the start and as, as, as I said on Friday um, you'll, take the, you'll take the four points move on next game things to work on now it's time to look at a few more full time takes uh, from our Facebook page uh, after the game was over. Uh, Connor Cronin said, uh, away from home, that's a good win, particularly against a decent Ulster side. Strong first half. Dirty conditions spoiled a bit, but happy out at that result. Uh, Richard Collins said it was a good win in tough conditions. Jenkins was very good again and looks like a great acquisition. And then in brackets, about time we got someone coming up from Limerick. Um, Martin Lockery said uh, the score gap possibly would have been bigger had Leinster not switched off in the second half. That said, Ulster were well up for it, though, and the conditions made it a bit of a lottery. Uh, on the Twitter machine, Kate McAvoy, who's a Munster fan, uh, so it's a bit of a uh, neutral kind of view. A uh, good win for Leinster in those conditions, but Ulster will rightfully be disappointed with themselves, especially poor Aaron Sexton. 
Now I'll put more full-time takes from both Facebook and Twitter on the show's page over at harpenandrugby.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation yourself, feel free to head over to our Facebook page at full-time after every Lancer and Ireland match to leave your thoughts. Okay, so now it's time for just a quick wrap of all the results from round three of the United Rugby Championship. Uh, we talked about Ulster v. Leinster. We talked about uh, the Bulls' uh, win over Connett. But also on Friday, there was a, a big win for the Lions uh, in Cardiff. They won 31-18, to and that was everything on Friday. On Saturday, we had the Stormers uh, coming back. They were down at one stage, but they came, fought back to win um, 34-18 over Edinburgh. Um, Ospreys uh, won 32-17 over Glasgow. We talked about Munster beating Zebra 21-5. And then Benetton beat the Scarlets 34-23. And then probably the most exciting match of the weekend was uh, the Dragons, uh, who looked like they were all set to beat the Sharks, but it was two late tries from the South Africans. Just nicked it at the end, 20-19. All of which means that after three rounds of the, the new season, Leinster are actually in first place with 14 points, but level uh, with the Vodacom Bulls, just separated by points difference. And then Ulster is still in third place um, after those results. Now, of course, right behind them are the Stormers and the Sharks, who were meant to play each other in round one, but that game was put forward to or put uh, um, until February. So uh, they both have a game in hand and they sit on 10 points and then nine points respectively. And uh, finishing out the top eight are Benetton, the Lions and the Ospreys. And Munster's win moved them up to 10th. And uh, Connett, unfortunately, with zero points from three matches are uh, rooted to the foot of the table. Now, um, next week, uh, we see round four on Friday. There's just uh, two matches. There's Edinburgh host the Lions. And then we have an Interpro, uh, Connett hosting Munster, their first, uh, Connett's first game in their new um, sports ground pitch. And then on Saturday, there's five matches uh, on the card. Zebra hosts the champion Stormers. Um, Leinster play the Sharks. Of course, the RDS will be all over that. Uh, Scarlets play Cardiff. Ulster hosts the Ospreys and Glasgow play uh, the Bulls when on Sunday, the final match of the weekend, we'll see uh, Benetton host the Dragons. So that's the URC wrap. Yep, absolutely. Listen, lads, that's brilliant. Listen, we're going to leave it there for now. Uh, many thanks again to Tom and Mark for joining me and we'll hope to have you on again soon. Thanks, lads. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Cheers Jeff. Cheers, Tom. So that's it for this week. Be sure and subscribe to our podcast feed if you haven't already. Next, we'll be turning our attention to next Saturday's visit by the Cell Sea Sharks to the RDS. On Thursday, we'll be talking to AP Kronje about them and the South African clubs in general. Then Kigo will join me for our preview show on Friday and finally our full wrap on Sunday with, of course, all the other usual features throughout the week. As always, feel free to send us your thoughts. Email us at paganoblog at gmail.com or get us on any or all of our social media platforms. You'll find the links in the program notes. Until next time, stay safe, everyone. Slong.